Welcome. Welcome to another episode of Energy Bites. Uh, I'm Bobby Nealon. I've got my trusty co-host, the Rad Dad, John Calfan here What's with us. What's up, everybody? <laughs> and uh, really excited. I want to introduce our um, our guest today. We've got uh, Catalina Herrera from uh, Data IQ. She's the field CDO. And uh, Nathan Simonis, our, our, their account executive. And um, but both with a ton of experience in oil, oil and gas and energy and uh, tech. So a lot of good nuggets going to come out of this. So yeah, I'm excited. I know we've had to reschedule on both sides, so it's it's fun to finally get get you guys in the studio. Thanks for coming. Yeah, good to so, see you guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Of course. So yeah, I mean, usually we want to just kind of jump in and talk about you know what the journey looks like for different people to get into oil and gas or and or tech, and because um, the cool thing is everyone's story is different. <laughs> you know, it's pretty wild, and I think we'll see a pretty strong dichotomy even between the two of you um uh, just based on what i know about you but um i mean you start with catalina but i mean how did you get in i mean was this it was computers and stuff was that something even as a kid that you were really into or, or kind of how did you make that trek into energy or well, tech and- i didn't have an email until 95 okay or so so no no <laughs> and uh, i come from colombia so it was a lot of cultural pressure of being a doctor or a lawyer okay so I had those two options, clearly. And when I mentioned, and I never had a Barbie either. And yeah. the one Barbie that I had, and actually opened the back to see the engine that helped the arm going okay. up and down. So I think that was a sign. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am a lot into music and sound. Okay. So I told my mother I want to be a sound engineer. And she said, that's not going to pay your bills. Yeah. What are you yeah. going to do with that? Right. So... That's not going to work. And she was a single mother at the time. So it was a very <coughs> important decision. How are we going to spend that money, right? Yeah. So I started with, okay, I'm going to go for medicine. And then I realized that it was no fucking way. I was not going to sleep my eight hours per night because yeah. I actually do like a very balanced life. Sure. Believe it or not. <laughs> and that's when I um, heard about electronics. Okay. Engineer. Uh, so I did that in Colombia. And it was a very good experience, so that they offered me to be a professor at this university okay. that I did my bachelor's. So I was teaching for the fourth time. Um, this class on semiconductors, and I was teaching about silicon wafers. Okay. And I realized, like, I am wasting my time. I mean, I do really need to complement my information and my knowledge, and we don't even produce these things in Colombia. So I need to get out of here. Sure. And that's how I started my journey. At that time, I already had a master's that was uh, from Colombia in electronics and computer science. Okay. But then to get out in, into the United States, I, I kept my F1 student visa mm-hmm. that allowed me to go into a campus in West Texas A&M University. And it was a cultural shock. So yeah, just but... FYI, <laughs> Bogota, Colombia, <laughs> 10 million people, cultural life, theater all over, yeah. Canyon, Texas, dry town. Yeah, oh boy. You cannot find a beer without getting to Amarillo mm-hmm. or 20 miles from. Mm-hmm. And that was very shocking. I bet. Uh, so I went through that journey and with a 4.0 GPA, Texas Tech gave me a um, scholarship okay. that was tied to Texas Instruments. So Texas Instruments has a deal, an alliance with um, tech. And if you have some decent grades and yeah. perform, they sponsor you, your education. I was lucky enough to be part of that group. 
Amazing. That's awesome. And then I actually was interviewed by Texas Instruments. They offered me an internship. I was in Houston. Yeah. And they gave me a computer. And guess uh, what was installed on that computer? A Spotify. Nice. Was installed in that computer. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know anything about it. And my job was a yield engineer. Okay. So my responsibility is, how are you going to look at all this data coming from all over the place with this computer and whatever is installed there and give us insights into how we're going to optimize yield and reduce this cost of producing scrappy things that are not <laughs> going to work. <laughs> and that's how I discovered the power of data. Okay. So that was an aha moment. Spotfire became like an, uh, my third or, uh, arm. Yeah. My third and fourth eye. Like, wow. Right. Yeah. So that was a that was a very important moment, I would say, in my career. Oh, for sure. Now I, I would say that was my gateway drug as well. So uh, yeah. I, like, well, so and connecting the dots as well. Like, oh, if I produce this visualization that represents how many millions? Like yeah. what? So that yeah. was a very important moment. And then after that, I, I started consulting. So Tipco mm -hmm. offered me a position. And I started in the analytics consulting business, pretty much driving the seat. So sure. now I was driving the seat with the Spotfire, very into, hey, what's going on? What's new? How we can maximize the value that we are providing and how we can maximize the opportunity yeah. here? Because now I understand what it means. So it's, I'm happy to share it. Sure. And and then life happens. So life happens. This technology evolves. Yeah. We learn. We continue learning. And as a consultant, I like driving the seat, meaning I like state of the art technology. Therefore, uh, I am with Dataiku right now. That Beautiful. I believe is leading the market into what we can do to really maximize uh, what's out of data. So that's a little bit of uh, my story. No, it's, it's awesome. a lot to unpack. I think across that, but uh, definitely wanna. Yeah, see where where Nathan. Yeah, my journey is circuitous as well. I yeah. you get to decide who's uh, gone through more uh, turns, but no, um, I think this is our our first with two, so this will be fun. Uh, to, we had them and uh, we had pod, pod two. two. Yeah, navigating two guests is yeah. definitely different than than just one. But well, I'll try and keep it interesting. Um, so I, uh, my dad worked in IT and oil and gas his whole career, and sure. so, um. I had no desire to do either of yeah. those things. It's uh, funny how many people you talk to. It's uh -huh. like, oh, my parents were oil and gas, and I said I would never do it. And uh, here I am. Yeah. I, I don't think I was even against it. I just was off doing yeah. other things. So um, I was a radio TV film major. I wanted to be a sports reporter. Um, we were just talking earlier about how my last semester in college, I got to intern for Madison Square Garden, which was awesome. But um, even then, that was sort of like, this crest of technology change, I was uploading podcasts okay. that were like the interviews with the coaches, the, you know, sort of game debriefs. Um, so, you know, spring of 2005 was uploading podcasts yeah. into, you know, uh, you know, a website so that nobody could download them. But uh, it was, uh, you know, RSS feeds and things yeah, like yeah. that. So, um, but yeah, came from a world where I was going to do a lot more of this um, as it related to sports. So. Um, I, as I continued that path, I realized that almost anybody in a sports career, if you're not going to do the journalism side, has master degrees. So I went and did a double master's at UCF in Orlando, and that included my MBA, but also a master's in sports business because I okay. wanted to pursue, um, you know, the, uh, 
professor that I studied under there used to be the VP of marketing for the NBA. Okay. And so what I found really interesting about the sports world was uh, the sponsorship side of the business because yeah. you have to create these win, win, win between the fans, the community, the, the owner, the stadium, and then all of the potential sponsors sure. that are forking over a lot of money, but mm -hmm. need to see the eyeballs and the value and yeah, the ROI returned. Yeah. That's right. And so I was really passionate about pursuing that and then finished my grad school in the 08, 09 downturn. And so got uh, sort of tied into the technology world. I did grow up with technology. I think I'm in the narrow slice. That's the Oregon Trail generation. Yeah. And uh, yeah, buddy. so as technology evolved, I was, I keep, I uh, kept uh, jumping onto the next iteration. Would you say you kept fording the river? I did. I forded the river uh, and only lost a few people along the way. Uh, so um, no cholera. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. uh, dysentery. Et I'll sit here yeah. and make. Uh, make so, but it's um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a, a very interesting journey. And so then, as I got into technology, um, I started off, you know, in recruiting, and then got into hardware, and then got into software, and then got into analytics and um, the thread there is that I kept finding it more and more compelling to get closer to the business problem sure. um, because it seemed more interesting and challenging and complex and more difficult to solve. I yeah. mean, some yeah. of the stuff that's easier to solve, more commodity oriented, it's, it's a race to the bottom. Yeah. And I just found this space so interesting and compelling. Um, and so I was drawn to it. And so... Uh, Catalina and I had the pleasure to work together uh, back at Tibco, uh, and so I sold Spotfire for several years, uh, and uh, then joined DataIQ two and a half years ago. And the first thing I did when I signed my offer letter was hire Catalina. Yeah. So <laughs> um, we were glad to reunite, and um, yeah. So now I lead uh, our energy vertical for uh, basically for the U.S. and then um, you know have a lot of uh, influence on where the product goes in terms of uh, what we do for our energy customers because. A data IQ is uh, horizontal, so we, um, you know, cover every industry. Where um, I think they actually finally uh, made this public, so we're um, up in six figures in revenue and uh, two hundred fifty million in revenue. So we're um, we're growing quickly, and uh, we've hired over half the company since I came to work here two yeah. and a half years ago. So That's it's awesome. um, yeah, a lot it's of fun. fun. Yeah, yeah, it's fun hitting getting into a a startup when they're hitting that growth mode because it's, it's just so different from when you started and you're like how the hell did this happen like, yeah, yeah absolutely and it happens so fast too. well and when it's been a challenging time in tech um more right. broadly no, so, yeah very true yeah true yeah and you have the double whammy of tech and oil and gas <laughs> it's always one or the other right and that's right it seems like i can uh and actually that was a big part of it so i think um you know i had my eye towards what is a compelling technology for oil and gas, but also that I can, in an oil and gas downturn, weather that while I see the rest of our company do well. And sure. so um, there's gonna be cycles like this that are you know challenging for the broader macro that oil and gas is doing relatively well. And then that might flip at some point, yeah. but um, to be with a company that can weather that either direction. Yeah, Absolutely. no, I think that's a big pro of being in the energy tech space that's more tech than just energy right Absolutely. it's like that was at hive cell that was a appeal to me yes i was in similar situation running leading the vertical but 
as a company, at least it wasn't all time. You know, <laughs> I started at Hive Cell the year after <laughs> we hit negative oil price. Right. And so yeah. I was like, listen, just a year ago, this is what the yeah. situation mm-hmm. was. So like, don't expect people to come <clears throat> knocking down the door for this brand new That's thing right. and this new concept that you, you know, we just convinced the industry to move to the cloud. And now I'm coming in to tell them to move back on prem. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. and so it's a, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's always nice <laughs> to be able to see that like people who, really you're passionate for the industry get into positions where it's not always tied to oil price right yeah that, that's right that can be brutal at times yeah and and i'll probably obviously to agree tipco isn't or wasn't but they're they do a big part of their market share is you know energy and oil especially oil and gas upstream. particularly on the spot fire side yeah. for sure and obviously uh i mean uh tipco is used across lots of different verticals mm-hmm. as well but they have a massive suite of products and that's yeah. a different story than what we're doing where there's one product and yeah. Yeah. so we're serving lots of different industries with with one piece of software sure mm-hmm. yeah that also makes it a lot easier to communicate with your customers about <laughs> absolutely right? instead of having to try and tell someone about that is a Spotfire user about stream or stream base or whatever it was right. called and that's like right convincing yeah. them that it's worth the money versus it's a more whatever. cohesive story <laughs> it's yeah. um, and and we're both very happy to be yeah. here because it is a clean story to tell. Yeah. yeah so i mean and you can tell me if there's a better way to go about this but i'm thinking maybe we start from like what is data iq and like yeah. why and whatever yeah. and then maybe from there work backwards towards other tools and stuff that you've seen do the job in that you've seen or used throughout your career and like you know what it solves and then but what were some of the pain points that happened before that that it solves yeah i I, um yeah i think i can uh just start with kind of what we saw all the time in spotfire land Mm. and so um in that world uh we saw lots of really complex and cool things that people built but all of that logic got trapped into Mm. a dashboard or even an app that somebody built and and that became super powerful for that use case but then not very accessible to other folks sure and um and then when you do that at scale in an organization it gets really messy to manage i think every single one of my customers was like why is there not more around version control why is there i mean like i think they finally are did they (laughs) in the in the library i think okay either the last one or definitely this new one they finally have like a, a form of version control in the library yeah it's i mean but that that's the kind of thing that happened for so many years that uh it was just it was a it was a frustration from customers yeah. so like we would see these sort of um complex environments because it was such a beloved tool but yeah. that it enabled this self-service paradigm without as many guardrails as it should have it created a little bit of chaos and yeah. so or a lot of chaos well and, and this is i think it's a good topic because uh, there's a the whole idea of the institutional knowledge but then also like it's also one of these like um, cautionary stories on how restrictive or how loose IT organizations are. Because mm-hmm. um, I've heard, you know, and I've been there, I, I was at Conoco, which, I mean, they, I think they had a pretty good balance, honestly. I had pretty good accessibility to what I needed. But, like, I've heard people like, oh, well, I, all I had access to was Spotfire, so then I'm writing SQL in information links to do this. Yep. Whereas, like, probably better off pushing <coughs> that upstream to the warehouse or yep. some other side of it. But then you have people that are too laissez-faire and, like, you know, everyone's got their own copy and it might as well be an Excel sheet with, you know, Jimmy version two, <laughs> five dash yeah. date, you know, whatever. Um, but again, like 
I'm big on institutionalizing like knowledge and like, again, like all that business logic gets trapped inside yep. of a BI tool. I mean, it's, it's Spotfire is one of a handful that mm-hmm. that's an right. issue, whether it's Tableau, Power BI, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. there's really, I mean, like or Excel, I mean, like really important business logic that is trapped there. And, and again, sometimes only that person knows how to use it. Again, yeah. you see it all the time in oil and gas. I mean, companies move people between assets. So, yeah. you know, again, let's talk Alex Lack, you know, like mm-hmm. it was on our thing. I mean, mm-hmm. guy built some really cool stuff for us in, you know, Conoco Bakken. Well, he went to Oxy. I, I probably died on the vine. There was things that yeah. I left behind <laughs> when I left Conoco. I'd like to think that he kept being used, but I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> that's right. Um, so I think it's a mandatory journey. All yeah. right. And like it's been 20 years of learning, of digitalizing more data, of putting more use cases into a data pipeline, sure. understanding what we can do from the descriptive to predictive and what it means and all of that. It's been a journey, but I think we proved the point. Like all predictive can be very valuable. Yeah. So now how do we let's go back? Like, okay, let's zoom out for yeah. a second. Now we know that that works. How do we optimize this thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do we really make it? better and what it means is that not only the logic is trapped there there is also a lot of change into Mm -hmm. the infrastructure itself yeah there is also a lot of change into the teams themselves because they are leaving and changing jobs and this guy downturns and layoffs and didn't document anything and let's start (laughs) over and yada 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 you know it's the the same old same old so I think it's like, okay, so what's different? Sure. And that's the thing. Okay, what's different? Well, technology will continue to change. That infrastructure will continue to change. People will continue to change. Yeah. Predictive is valuable. So what's different? Let's orchestrate it in a way mm-hmm. that we can leverage the team that we have and that we can keep scaling. Sure. And by the way, keep learning. Right. So that's, that's what's new. That's yeah. what's different that we learned the lesson. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what drew me here was the, you know, when, when seeing those challenges at customers, particularly the largest ones, I mean, because as it scales, it becomes so problematic that um, abstracting all of that logic and orchestrating and automating and making all of that something that's sustainable, that the next user can come in from a different team or from another organization and launch off quickly yeah. without having to go rebuild stuff <laughs> themselves. And so, that just, it becomes a very virtuous paradigm to work in and it enables so much more for people who don't have a coding background or don't have those sort of skill sets and it upskills you as you do it so that you have access to those things even if you don't come from the coding Mm -hmm. world. Yeah, so so let's talk about that because obviously I come from the coding world. John's kind of definitely a hybrid. But I mean, (laughs) definitely not a coder. But but I mean, you you, you do write some code. I mean, but- um, let the language models write my code these days for the most part. So I mean, like, say someone who's used to writing custom expressions or calculated columns in Spotfire, like how does like some data IQ meet them in the middle? I mean, is it a, is there a kind of graphical interface to it? Or I mean, is there a query language around it that, you know, is easy to pick up or just curious? Yeah, both. And the beauty of it is that you take it out of the box. So you not only solve the problem, however, you know how to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So use your skills and solve it, but that creates a piece that tech communicates with his piece, my piece, yeah. his piece, regardless of you code, you right. don't, you code, you don't. Yeah. And that is where the difference is. Okay. That's huge. It is huge. And then you can automate those pieces. Right. Yeah. That that's so think about accelerating time to value. Yeah, hundred percent. 
So it is a GUI. It's a canvas that you read like a book. But okay. at any one of those steps along the way, each any of those nodes in the workflow, you can just drop in your own code. And so it's Python or SQL or R, or whatever okay. you have that spring your own. Um, but it also enables somebody who doesn't want to write a SQL code. I mean, that might be a coder that yeah. doesn't want to write a SQL yeah, query, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but allows you to do those sort of transmit transformations visually so okay. that you don't necessarily need to code them. Got it. Okay, so I mean, I'm just trying to think about, the, and I think I've talked to you about this too, but like, yeah. I think there's any number of companies that you either compete with, but also don't compete with. I mean, like, and then we were talking about that even just Microsoft in general, you know, competes with Databricks, but they're also a huge partner, you know, whatever. But because I mean, I'm what I'm hearing, I'm hearing it sounds a little bit like a Matillion or a mm -hmm. SSIS, but then like almost like I almost think of you guys almost competing with Databricks. I mean, certain things. So I'm just trying to, you know, think where you fit in like kind of that puzzle. I mean, like I guess it could be any any number of pieces of the yeah. process, whether it's data engineering, data analysts, data science. So yeah, I can take a stab at that. I'm sure Kelly has some opinions <laughs> as well. Um, so we were the partner of the year for Snowflake for the third year in a row yeah. uh, from an AI ML perspective. Um, this was our first year as partner of the year for Databricks. And okay. so um, that might set off a whole bunch of other conversations, but the uh, the place where we sit as an orchestrator on top of those things means we don't really care where the data right. is. And then uh, we make it accessible wherever you want to. So via API or into your dashboarding tool of choice. Um, so, uh, we aren't going to move data. We're just going to push down compute into whatever engine you guys bring to the table, any uh, organization. So um, we're, we run on all three clouds or on-prem. Okay. Um, so it's it really is uh, take advantage of your existing tech investments. And lots of people like that because that means they don't need to move. Yeah. Um, but think of us more as like the last mile ETL, right? I mean, so often yeah. it's just T. It's not the E and the L. Sure, yeah. It's just take <laughs> what you've got today and transform it into something that drives analytic and insight-driven decisions. Okay. So if I've, just uh, for clarity, yeah. so I've got my Snowflake or SQL or combination of whatever s data stack on the back end, y'all kind of plug in on top of that so I can then do, whether it be ETL or, you know, AI, et cetera, and then all the way through to production deployment of that and management, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will add a couple of things. First, the cycle, when we say end-to-end, -end, right? So it's connect to a bunch of stuff, put the data in a way that it can be consumed, mm -hmm. and then feed different data outcomes. And when sure. it's dashboards or... Uh, UX that is giving you a machine learning model or whatever else is, is happening. So the fact that you can actually orchestrate this, keeping the agnostic right. whatever infrastructure, that's number one. Number two, adding better compute when you have it. That's a huge one, especially with generative AI coming. Yeah. Right? So how much are you going to pay for those tokens in the LLM versus... Do you really need it or, you know, those decisions? Where are you going to run that compute? Do you read a GPU? Do you need a vector database? Do you actually need it? It's like those things need to be part of it. But then at the same time, it's like all the ecosystem, when you mentioned we have a lot of software out there yeah. that does pieces of it. Sure. So we connect to it in this way and we produce this thing. Spotfire was very good at that. But mm -hmm. the what happens after... Right. was a huge 
missing component yeah. there. How do I deploy this project into production? Can I do this with three clicks of a mouse? Wow. Yeah. Is this being deployed to all my teams with three clicks? That That is different, right? Sure. Uh, how is this being consumed by somebody else and UX? And now we talk about generative AI and the LLMs and the chat GPTs yeah. of the company. No. So how do we put this in a private tenant so mm-hmm. nobody else sees our documents yeah we can feed we ourselves can use yeah. the technology that is out there so it's a huge framework and it has many pieces of it and that's where you fit the ecosystem oh yeah we have the spot fires tableaus quicks all of that what is that but yeah analysis visualization etl dashboarding yes you can play with python here play with r here but at the end that goes nowhere yeah because you are not deploying that into any production anything no, 100%. Right? That's the main component right there. Is the visualization in the platform or to whatever visualization <coughs> tool you... Both. Okay, beautiful. Both? That's exactly what I was going to say. So, I mean, that's a big component of it too, and right? that's like, a huge one, the, the UX. big problem with Spotfire mm-hmm. for a lot of people mm-hmm. is it's like, I as the engineer know how to use Spotfire because I use it every day, but the finance accounting person whose dashboard I'm trying to build has no clue <laughs> what that is or how to use it and because it's built on the stack, it's now stuck in this box, right? Yes. And like getting it out of that box into something else that the end user is used to or comfortable with becomes a lot harder. So I love the fact that you yeah. guys are nice, neutral, third party, just moving and Pieces. and transforming. But, and I will say an important part of it is, is the UX and the how user-friendly it is because we do think in different ways. I mean, I'm have my two brains pre-balanced and I like to think and I DJ and I paint and all of that and I am very creative as well but you think differently you have different mm-hmm. skills uh, but then the, the so what and the different skills UX super easy baby steps yeah. literally they're, they're embedded all those engines are already embedded like hey I need to do geocoding and extract this from latitude longitude all of this is yeah. one click away so it's, yeah. it's like Okay, this is a no-brainer. Even for a coder, like mm-hmm. oh, I already have my Pi- my Jupyter notebook. I have my machine learning perfect, very precise model, and now I have the opportunity to compare that and add fifteen others. Sure. And compare all those metrics in a minute. Like, wow. Okay, that, yeah. why not? Yeah. So it's not only connecting dots; it's also empowering SMEs to go beyond. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that's an important part. We were talking about it just a minute ago, and you know, internally here, we're looking at deploying some some different language models and stuff to be able to use internally. And I was talking to Nathan, and I was like, you know, my problem is I don't know which one. I don't know how each of the open source ones are going, what output they're going to generate for my use case, and the idea of standing up, you know six of those on my own server and then running through them all through the same tests is very daunting to mm. someone like myself mm. who is familiar with code and generally understands it but from an architecture and backend side it's like ugh. but being able i mean i'm probably going to be talking to you all about <laughs> about <laughs> trying to see how we can can do some of that on your platform but i think that's a big thing especially kind of looking forward is everyone we all know everyone in the industry is excited about AI, but none of them are going to use any of the paid services because it's all proprietary information and they don't want someone, you know, using their data. So that means everyone's going to stand up their own language models internally somehow, some way, 
And then it's like, okay, well, which one do you use? Okay, well, how do we test that? And it's like being able to quickly deploy and test all of those things is not a menial task by any means. And so having software out there that's designed to kind of do that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Think about it as a funnel. So yeah. the base of the funnel, you may have 10, 15 of those LLMs. You have the LAMAs, the GPTs, mm-hmm. the whatever, the dollies. But then at the end, you want to democratize that. And you want to just provide a chat GPT UX to somebody to ask questions about mm-hmm. their PDFs and yeah. enhance that. Done. That's that's a very simple use case. But right now, key component is, hey, how much is that going to cost me with this LLM? <laughs> yeah, sure. How much is going to cost me with that LLM? And do I need to have a private tenant for that and do a RAG mm-hmm. project instead of a simple query? Yeah. Those but I mean, again, you say simple and it kind of brings up one of my favorite sayings is simple but not easy right i mean like and i think this is a good segue into like talking about different skill sets and like just whether it's devops but now specifically ml ops like the skill set of a data scientist or machine learning engineer is totally different than someone who needs to actually operationalize that Mm. but it sounds like your platform maybe enables now a data scientist or machine learning machine learning engineer to actually build the model and then operationalize it so that where they don't need someone with that specialized skill set of how do I write an API around this model and then I have to host that API in a container and I have to send inputs exactly. and get it out whereas it sounds like on your platform like they can create it you create the API endpoints for that model yeah um, and with a super friendly click here and yeah. on. and it's that glue that allows these projects to go faster yeah yeah no, yeah I, I think you know the what is a great customer quote because it's uh, a little bit confusing and it makes you think about it is that we're both the lubricant and the glue. So we make everything go faster, but we hold it all together. And that becomes like, you think about just the process that you described, which is I, we built a really awesome model, but now we've got to go refactor it Mm -hmm. and code it and deploy it into production. Mm -hmm. And did we miss our business opportunity because it took us six yeah. to 12 months to actually get that thing deployed? And like that, for sure, that happens at a lot of oh, yeah. organizations. Well, I mean, the, I think if you were working on a model back in, you know, November, October of last year, and then all of a sudden chat comes out two months later, I mean, like, like yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's a big piece of this is the rate at which things are moving yeah. is just so, especially on the AI side is so crazy that like one of the risks of like from my perspective as a user of trying to pick which one is what if I pick and build on the one that doesn't succeed? Well, then I'm gonna have to go read all of this stuff. So having platforms where it's like, hey, I can just remove that one and plug this one in or try all of them and see which one comes up with the best results without having to go stand every single one up by myself and then mm-hmm. write all the APIs for them because that's how I want to use the models mm-hmm. is, is uh, it's pretty slick. That's yeah. right. Or compare yeah. something that you've already coded Correct. to like, okay, here's a whole bunch of auto ML things. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, let me hop into each of those explainability and what if analyses so that I, I can see, okay, well actually the one we coded is better or right. this one's interesting yeah. and that surprises me. Yeah. And I think we can kind of break, break into this. I was talking this morning with, um, well, I'll say his name. He, he won't mind Jeff Hughes. And he was asking me, you know, basically why, and this isn't necessarily y'all, but I think your stuff enables similar capabilities that like why a data lake house, it sounds just really, you know, buzzwordy and it is, and just the name of it, you know, there's some shock value to it. But I mean, I was trying to explain to him, like say in a traditional data science workflow, the way it used to be like, if you had just SQL server, like all your data was there, great, it's organized. Well, the data scientist still needs to go pull that in, 
to and then load it into memory in R or Python and then do some pandas and this and that. Or they have to download a CSV of it and then do all these massaging steps to get it where they want it. And then they got to train the model. And then, all right, all right, now the model's good. Well, now we actually, now we need to go actually apply these steps that I applied in my R script, you know, recreate those as a data engineering workflow. Uh, you know, then it runs through the model. But well, how do I even feed that data into the model? Mm -hmm. I have to host a, you know, now it would be containers. Even before that, you had to set up a, yeah. a you know, some kind of VM or whatever mm -hmm. that was hosting it and you'd feed them in there. And then how do you, how do you get out of there? Does it go back into SQL server or where does it end up? And, but now you've got, you know, platforms like yours where it's like, it's working on top of your data. The pre the pre-processing work you did is now, you know, already done. Like you worked on that to get it into there and you're working, I'm assuming you have like notebooks within mm -hmm. there. So mm -hmm. the, you don't, you don't have to pull it out into your IDE. Like it's all one cohesive you can thing. sync with your IDE. Yeah. And then the outputs of that, go through and those are still accessible. So now you have this whole data governance um, side of it where, again, your data engineers, your data scientists, your data analysts are all using the same data. You're not moving data around. It's, again, more secure in that way because the data stays in that data platform. Um, and it's just easier to share those results you know, with everyone. And now your, your SQL analysts are able to write SQL against the data that you, you know, was the output of the model, you know, so much less cognitive I guess overhead even that you have to deal with so mm -hmm. um just kind of get y'all's thoughts on that <laughs> that's the, that's part of it so the beauty of it is i'm back to my framework because it's my favorite word yeah. for the like representation because it allows that loop <coughs> and if you want to push it back to your new better compute initiative yeah. because that goes on all the time it's like oh yeah we're going to invest on this new one yeah uh, but this one is going to move to that one and then that other one comes from a third party that is this one. So sure. that's always going to be part of it. So the fact that you can orchestrate it, but within a dev sandbox environment, design, mm -hmm. experiment, confirm with your SME, check out that this thing is actually working, tie that up with the initiative from the use case perspective, stakeholders, who mm -hmm. cares if this model drifts? Yeah. Who do I notify? Sure. Why? Like, that holistic view so zoom out and he's like okay who's going to be using how and then yeah. and that framework is what really accelerates the time to value so agnosticism is key but mm -hmm. also being able to connect these personas and allow a feedback to where you need the data today or tomorrow yeah that is a huge component sure of it. so that triggered triggered a few more things for me then too i mean so does in data you can send alerts to people based yeah. off certainly so i mean like so again an alerting <laughs> system is not trivial to set up you know no. you know to do it in house even this even the out of the box ones are still mm -hmm. I mean. but even then too i mean like so you know and we just got you know airflow set up in house and like when i think about there is like running your python scripts like print statements become part of the log well mm -hmm. but like you know say before if you you can you can certainly we're doing it run python scripts as a scheduled task you know but like then it takes more effort to write a log out of that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of overhead. So now when you can abstract that and just like, all right, my print statements become part of the log and now yeah. that's there. So, I mean, I'm assuming again, it sounds like you have the, the alerting capability, yes. which is not a trivial thing to do for right. most people. And then I'm assuming obviously you have some auditability and logging yes. with everything and that's that happens. a huge component yeah. of it. Uh, yeah. That somebody can automate what's going on after 20 years of doing ETL in a spot fire. It's running out of guys. Yeah. Like, Loath all those information links that we have at Conoco. <laughs> I, I'm sure you, yeah. I don't know if you ever saw my 
downhole dashboard over there. It was, it was famous. Uh, but what was going on behind the scenes? Informational links. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you have 50 of those and then it starts like... Uh, more and more, yeah, it starts crawling. Uh, and it's right? Like... So how are you, you, you going to change that? How are you going to optimize that? Mm -hmm. How are you going to put gas into it? So remove that friction and allow the normal Excel users to, hey, automate. Sure. So every day, what do I have to do? Connect to these 15 sources, create this one table and plot this one graph. Yeah. Do it for me every time. Three in the morning or four in the morning when I woke up, is the, the table is populated, it's clean. The analysis is there. If something drifted, somebody <clears throat> was notified. Yeah. If that somebody was notified with a production, very important use case, a data scientist was notified and is already looking at the drift and is already retraining a model and is already redeploying a model. Yeah. And somebody can sign off, yeah. This is aligned with our policies and this is aligned with what we think internally because that's the other thing that we haven't talked about. But this is also something that we have been learning, which is, hey, not only we're generating data outcomes, but we have to generate data outcomes that are responsible sure. and that we understand what the heck is going on there. Right. And if something is wrong, we can track it back or fix it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a, I mean, that's initially five 10 years ago when people started talking about AI in the oil field, that was the big problem, right? Is you've got, <laughs> you're presenting to a room full of engineers who have, like I as a mechanic, I'm a mechanical engineer because I have to know how things work. I take shit apart and I put it back together. I might break it three times until I finally figure it out, but I will do it. Um, and so you're sitting in a room trying to pitch this black box that you can't explain to them and they have no idea and they're already not trusting mm -hmm. of you because you're tech and you're the big scary thing. Mm -hmm. But it's like, yeah, being able to have even just auditability of like, not even just with an AI model, but over time within a company, right? Like Bobby left and so-and-so took over and that's where this piece of code changed, which yeah. is when all the issues started. Exactly. And so now we know where to start debugging instead of here's the file. Exactly. And you're like, well, shit, I have, yeah. you know, you just start going through it. Yeah. So that kind of triggered another thing for me. Like, so what what about like data, like a, a data dictionary, but like maybe even lineage, like, I mean, discoverability. I mean, like people like, well, I want to find this, you know, like, I mean, does your platform platform help enable that too? Like you can find where that data is or where it started, you know, how it got to where it is. Yes. And, and think about it as a, as a Lego of building blocks. Yeah. So sometimes to find that data, you, that data can be on a structure or semi-structure or whatever. You may need to still do some OCR, some processing mm. and some basic NLP. But at the end, you are going to be tagging or highlighting or grouping worldwide. I mean, yes, you can you can use all kinds of NLP to surface what you need to surface. But yeah. the beauty of it is that you already found a use case. You can copy-paste and change the unstructured data and yeah. serve it to somebody else and then copy-paste and serve it to this other team that cares about these marketing insights. Sure. And these ones care about human resources. So they're looking at different PDFs, but at the end, they're asking the question that they want to ask. Right. And that's how you scale. Are you so seeing... no, I was just going to jump off that point. There's, there's cataloging. So like everything that you've linked to in mm. data IQs, like then it's surfaced to people who have permissions to see all those things. And so yeah. they can see what's being used and how often it's being used. And then there's, you know, not just the, what have you connected to catalog, but there's the feature store. So mm. these are the things that we've worked on and blessed. And yeah. that's a data set that we should use more broadly in the organization. Okay. And it's used in all these different subsequent So, so you can have a, almost like 
you know, maybe it gets used too much, but like a medallion architecture or something like where mm-hmm. like, this is like the gold mm-hmm. layer, or the yeah. platinum layer, and like, you know, the, this other stuff is more kind of in flux. That's know, but, right. Yeah. yeah. And then you use that to feed what ultimately data engineers want to work on things that become used. And so what ends up happening is there's, <clears throat> you know, lots of analysts and subject matter experts who, who do things and we want to encourage that work. And as they do things, then data engineers say, well, I need to build that as a robust pipeline. And yeah, yeah, you do. But like, let's let more people drive that and have it to democratize in terms of what the key things are. Yeah. Cause I mean, that analyst at the edge knows what the business needs, you know, and you can enable them to do some of that, but then again, it's still done in a more robust or exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, just having, I think, you know, historically speaking, one of the biggest issues the industry has always had is this silos. Right. And it's like, they're on the same floor, but they don't even talk to each other, right? Like the, the completion engineers and the reservoir engineers are literally on the same floor in the same building in the same city. And one is saying one thing and the other is saying something different. And I, as a service provider, have no idea who to listen to or what to trust or whatever. But thinking about it from the flip side is internally, right? The problem, historically speaking, has been we've got all this data but it's in different places or it's locked down by IT in this one little thing. And as an engineer, I'm gonna find a way to get the data yeah. regardless of whether IT locks it down. So now I'm, you know, I found an AI bot that's going in and just downloading CSVs for me once a day so that I don't have to do that. When in reality, if it just had a platform that had permissions, I could have access directly to the data sets that I need to have access to without interrupting any of that security piece. And it can all be built yeah. off of the same handfuls of mother data so to speak that we know is good and then anybody can use it right and so that's that's i want to add a piece there because you just touched on a very important point i worked around it oh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's happening a lot yeah because you have all of these frustrated people that is trying to actually make a simple decision and all they need to do is have visibility Mm -hmm. so it's as simple as that but what i am also seeing is how culturally it is starting to change as in okay, I'm not going to be the bottleneck, how I'm going to govern this, how I'm going to give you your data catalog or your future store or your group, go and have fun with those dashboards, I don't care, but I'm going to orchestrate it for you. So I think that's where the real value comes today, as in what skills need to change with this technology. It's like we have to be the humans empowered by the technology Mm -hmm. and keep bringing the unique humanness that we yeah. can bring to this table that yeah. is not replaceable by Even technology. Even just, just doing it on top of the data too, right? It's not from or in the warehouse or directly from it. And that's, I feel like that's the thing. We, we a lot of us, me personally, uh, talk a lot of shit about IT departments a lot of the time, but you know, they're, a lot of them, their main goal or function is to keep the company secure because their data is one of their biggest assets, right? And so it's not because I don't like the IT folks. It's just there's conflicting incentives, right? Yeah. Like engineer solve the problem, IT guy lock everything okay. down. Yeah. So it's that, designed friction, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so being able to have something like this, where it's like, hey, you can have access to this, and it, even if you do screw it up, it's not going to affect the actual mm-hmm. database. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's that too. But I mean, I, and I was wanting to maybe segue into some of like some of the cybersecurity mm-hmm. kind of side of it because I mean, you know, I'm luckily right now I'm at a private company. We don't have to worry about SOC compliance and all that stuff as much. But I mean, I'm sure. I have to imagine your platform is SOC compliant. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I mean, just again, by keeping everything in the platform, be able to send things within, like, I mean, I think a huge 
data security risk is like people just emailing around Excel yeah. files and CSVs. I mean, yep. I mean, like that in and of itself, just like sending around crucial information like yeah. that way, it's yeah. a is not, um, it's just not efficient at all. But yes. like, there's a chance that it gets sent to the wrong person or someone outside oh the organization. God. Like, seen that happen many times. Um, yeah. Hit reply all instead of reply, and then the client gets the data yeah. that they're not supposed to, or somebody else's. Yeah, name. or we got forbid like competitor. You know, like I mean, no, like, yeah, I mean, sure. because it's like, say you had a data sharing agreement, but you sent yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, even then, like the easiest. I mean, in my in my very limited knowledge on the cybersecurity side, the one of the easiest ways people get hacked is through phishing, which mm. means they get access to your email first. And so, oh, well, if you've got all this proprietary data yeah. in emails, because that's how you're sending them around, not the most secure way to do it, right? Yeah. yeah. And that is going to be even more important with generative AI sure. and LLMs. And how are you going to handle the toxic, like what kind of guardrails do you have to put yeah. there um, yeah. in terms of private data and all of that? What kind of searches are allowed? I Give me the list of security, social securities of like, can yeah. you do that? Right. What is the what is the guardrail on those queries and all of that? And that's part of the experimentation that needs to happen before thinking about deploying to production and LLM use case as well. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, I think when you think about several of the things that we've kind of touched on in the last little bit here, it's the challenges that exist with traditional desktop oriented tools where you end up sharing information inefficiently and maybe insecurely. Yeah. The challenges with um, handoff points in data processes that ultimately create delays and potentially missed opportunities or um, you know just delayed value. Mm -hmm. And then when you think about how many groups are used to working alone in their discipline or maybe in their asset team, um, but not as aware or keen to what another group within their organization is doing, there's missed opportunities from that standpoint. And yeah. so really why we're so passionate about being here is because the browser-based interface to collaborate across teams, across functions, and in a paradigm that is both self-service to like enable anybody of any sort of Background, background persona, <laughs> discipline to do their data-driven work and then give IT the comfort to know all the governance, security, policy, everything is all tied in with the backend. So um, I know just in my decade of selling analytics and software to oil and gas, like security and architecture is just like the biggest way to just get stuck with the technology department yeah. because yeah. they'll just, they'll, they have extreme concern, just mm -hmm. to your point. I have never seen a software cleared as fast as Data IQ from IT security and architecture. They, yeah. they do deep dives and they're like, you guys already do everything the way that we would. Mm -hmm. And we work with the largest companies right. in the world. Yeah. And so something I've struggled with in uh, prior lives is when you're working up the stack, mm -hmm. working yeah. towards larger and larger companies, it's hard for companies to scale your technology from a security and architecture point to really serve the, the big yeah. boys. And Dataiku luckily has half of the Fortune 10. So we're working down market and bringing that to bear across more operators, more service companies. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's really exciting is that um, a scaling software like this is most compelling to the largest companies 
and more and more companies are starting to take advantage of it. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now being able to, uh, I've, being able to come into an office and say, well, we're working for whoever, right? Top Forbes 100 company is a yeah. very easy, uh, way to break the ice with a lot of it mm. and cybersecurity folks. Yeah, that's right. Cause right. we've been through the paces with yep. the biggest ones. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, those are obviously all public companies and they have to go through the rigor that, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. requires. And, um, uh, you know, another thing I want to kind of hit on and I, again, I just want to see if, if it's possible or what, what you do with it. What about like, you know, say streaming data and or like IOT, do yeah. you all have any kind of your fingers in those spaces at all or? Yeah. I mean, we consume Kafka. Okay. And we can do whatever we want with the Kafka. Sure. So, but a majority of streaming use cases in real life end up being batch, batch scoring. Yeah. Yep. Realistically. Yeah. So, you know, we always talk about it. It's like, what does real time mean to you? Exactly. So Everyone gives a different answer. answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, different. It means different things for different people. But yeah. again, we orchestrate what needs to happen on top of it. Yeah, so we don't have people usually putting data IQ out on the edge. But yeah. we, what you do is once you've got that data pulled yeah. back to something, then you'll build a model off of all that historical data and then mm. you'll deploy it maybe at the edge if it right. makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. so you can obviously develop that model you know, in data IQ and then, I mean, how easy is it then say to like generate say a container of that out of yeah. it? I mean, like, is that something that's baked in relatively? Or I mean, what does that process look like? Yeah, that's the... One of the huge advantages is that it makes life easier and it becomes a template or a configuration here and there, and then it empowers people to get faster and get things done. So okay. it's a simple UX. Okay. Clicking so, a couple of buttons. Yeah. So that leads me to the question I've been waiting to ask the whole time, which is federated learning. How it sounds like y'all have, I mean, just where you sit and the way that you can do things is like it's a perfect mm-hmm. kind of platform for that and for those who don't know what federated learning is it's this idea that you build one model then you deploy that model to many different locations and then those are their own models running on those locations they take their learnings push them back to the mother model it gets retrained on that and then pushes that back down to its children models and it's mm-hmm. just this continuous loop but it's it's literally what OpenAI has been doing for the last year. Mm-hmm. You go and you sign into GPT and you do it and it takes the learnings or whatever that you taught it essentially there and it pushes it back up to the main model and now we have GPT-4 Turbo, right? Like how does how does Data IQ handle that? And is, it sounds like it's kind of set up very nicely for, for federated learning as well. Is that We accurate? actually presented, that was the use case that okay. we presented at the... Hops on MLOps in Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When when was that? Like a year yeah. ago? Yeah. Yeah. So exactly that. And how it branches out, do your thing and come back. Why? Because we can literally copy and paste blocks. Yeah. So yeah. yes, it's a lot of flexibility. That's very cool. So what what are some kind of just let's call them wins. What are some wins that you guys have seen, you know, different clients have, whether it's in oil and gas or outside of it just using the platform some of the big kind of hurdles that they've overcome or ROIs that they've been able to achieve I wanna, yeah. go for it and then you complement sure. everything I'm, I'm just going to highlight a couple of things because we mentioned Snowflake we mentioned Databricks one of my customers right now the aha moment happened when the accounting department was able to use the Databricks like, like that simple thing 
yeah. allow them to use that data no, and automate a report. Like it can be simpler than that. Yeah. But that is an aha moment. So what's going on is that we are actually gluing the opportunity to maximize the investments that are happening in terms of that technology right. and connecting the dots for people with zero code background to be able to leverage that. So use cases as simple as that, but now more advanced enterprise companies that have been doing this for years, let's say in oil and gas, yeah. uh, what's going on right now, the aha moment is MLOps and really have a governance framework where you can keep an eye on that AI portfolio because AI portfolio is going to be pieces of things that can be a data outcome again. It doesn't mm. need to be machine learning for AI for be part of that portfolio that you need to have an eye on. So that is opening doors for teams to collaborate and work right. together and use cases now, classic use cases, like the predictive maintenance sure. that we have been talking for the last few years or so. <laughs> now what is going on with that predictive maintenance? Because it's deployed in the field. It's in an automation routine where drift happens and the proper people get notified and all of that. But at the same time, it's connected to a business unit that is also working three more projects, mm. and now everything is part of this framework. So I know teams, I know who is doing that, what, and I know I have visibility on it. And then the cherry on top is the acceleration that LLMs are bringing to the table right. when you grab the classic predictive maintenance, and now you add generative AI on it, and you just ask the thing, hey, show me the equipment that are in high priority of failure and give me the locations. Boom, Yeah. right? So those are aha moments. And and the fact that you can do that in a matter of weeks instead of months yeah. and it still reuse what your teams have been working for the last 10 year, years or so, those are the aha moments. It's okay. like, okay, finally these pieces are actually being orchestrated. Sure. Yeah. So that made me think of something that I thought of earlier and then immediately forgot because ADD. But uh, <laughs> so could... I also theoretically use your platform to distribute information to people external of my company as well. I'm thinking of like my background coming from the mm -hmm. frac side. The problem with frac analytics and AI ML is that half a dozen to a dozen different companies generate all of the data in different timestamps in their on their own systems essentially. Mm -hmm. And of course it's all the operator's data, but it all lives on their side until the operator gets it and there's no really good way central repository so to speak for all of that to kind of come together you know colbor's trying to do that corva's kind of pseudo doing that but being able to have all of that data like all the service companies push it to the operators uh instance and data iq and the data iq says hey kind of like a pseudo kafka you get this piece of the stream because that's the data that you need for your job and you get this one <laughs> over here but you don't get you know the other stuff from the other vendors mm -hmm. and stuff like that is that a feasible conceivably you could do that yeah for sure and so that like because of the data cleaning capabilities in data iq then you could set up those you know as you receive those into files or databases or however you want that to then you you run those transformations and you stitch that together and then you let the people listen to those automated outputs that come and so because some of the alerting and things that we were talking about is data iq can trigger actions on new data or schedule or whatever you want it to be. And then as a result of that trigger, do the alert and action and whatever. So that, again, that orchestration means that 
um, you have there's no easy button for it. You right. do have to set it up, yeah, yeah. but then it makes it accessible to the people that need it in the organization. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was curious about, so like, you know, people have their Snowflake or the Databricks, but also maybe running Dataiku on AWS or Azure or internally, like, do you, does it have like its own Python engine within it or does it have its own like R engine? Cause I mean, you're saying I can plop in a Python script or an R script or whatever, like, does it come with one or do you have to, you install, like, how, how does it handle like where the, where that runs? Cause I didn't know, say with Python, you know, say Snowflake has their snow park mm -hmm. and then you know obviously you can run python on databricks you know and that compiles down to like some spark code like so does dataiku compile those things down to those engines or if yep. it's just a generic python script where does that run just kind of curious on the that. engines so we leverage a snow park in snowflake and that's a big mm. aha moment as well yeah because uh, you are connecting a lot of dots there so yes we leverage the infrastructure yeah and it goes down okay but yeah, I mean, if you need to bring in your Python libraries and all, all that can be That's managed within Dataiku. Exactly, so, yeah. yes. And and as a data scientist, I mean, I like independence yeah. and I like control. And just let me experiment with my three libraries and my packages and let me have this kernel here and then we have my code environment here where I have fully control into what's supporting that use case. Sure. And And, and then I am ready to operationalize and share this with the world. Yeah. But yeah, that independence is is key. And you mentioned IDs. And mm -hmm. there is a lot of people that still loves the ID UX. Yeah. And yeah. if you like that, go for it. Yeah. So we sync okay. that. And whatever you are doing that, that is going to be represented in the flow itself. Okay. And so then I was, that's kind of my next part of that. I mean, is that through like a Git integration? <clears throat> you know, yeah. Um, is, or do you have, say, a VS Code extension? Yeah, I mean, is it either well, both? Yeah. Either okay. both. Yeah. And it's depending, awesome. because a lot of people is already doing some CI, CD at, at, at some level, and, and Git is a big part of it. So yeah. we, we are not going to be disrupting the way that they're doing things. We're going to optimize <clears throat> where they're doing things. So we're going to pretty much understand that CI, CD and put data on top mm -hmm. as that orchestration of those pieces, but yeah. for these people as well. And now we all have the visibility on the CI/CD plus the alerting piece, the drift uh, governance, and the sure. whole thing. So it's a it's a more user friendly CI/CD that smooths that framework okay. for these teams to really maximize what they can do together. But then, say, can someone write, say, a Jupyter notebook with you know within like Data IQ's no Data IQ's notebook, but then like push that down to yeah. get from the platform too? I mean, or you can you can write your you can bring a Jupyter notebook that you already have, or mm. you can start and write your Jupyter notebook and it's gonna become an orange bubble, literally. So it okay. becomes an artifact. Yeah. And and the traceability and the interdependencies and all mm. of that is embedded in the flow. Okay. So you don't have to sit down and think about documenting anything sure. because it's doing it for you. And that's another aha moment. Right. Yeah. Because we don't like to document things. No, hundred percent. I mean like and again you're just platform sound like this on steroids, but you know, say we're using like DBT, mm -hmm. you know, for our SQL transformations, but like, again, you have that traceability between models and like a reusability mm -hmm. and then it does some auto documentation. And again, mm -hmm. you, there does need to be some work to enrich that. Um, but at least out of the box, you can see how these things put together and see like where this came from and what code generated what I'm looking at and everything. So, yeah. and like I get book. just like onboarding people too has been huge. Yeah. Like, when someone, I, and that's kind of what I will sell if we're interviewing like an analyst from another team, like, dude, when you walk in day one, I'm going to give you 
access to this documentation and then when you're using you know this sql you know view at the end like you can come to the documentation and see what transformations are happening there what's happened downstream and how it you know it's being calculated mm. um so it's just you know as an onboarding thing too just people can come in and, and be dangerous almost mm -hmm. immediately mm -hmm. exactly mm -hmm. innovation that's where innovation happens yeah. let people be dangerous let yeah, them experiment right. let them try llm versus another one let them create that interface let us questions let empower them yeah well, and I mean, it sounds like you're using it as a recruiting tool, but it's also a retention tool. Mm -hmm. If you give yeah. people better tools, they're not looking around to go elsewhere. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I've seen it on the other side where, uh, I won't name names, our, our ERP is not great. And like you lose accountants because they're like, I can't do this every month. Yeah. Like, you know, bad tooling will ruin someone's life. And yeah. I think, we, you know, we had Mark Ebert from Dakota Analytics, and he had a great story about how some of the tools they built, like, I mean, actually helped an accountant that was spending, you know, Close nights closing the books till 1 2 a.m. and then she was actually able to get home six seven at night and see her kids you know like yeah but it was like she's like you literally changed my life mm -hmm. i mean just by having better tools or better yeah. you know so i mean it's it's bigger than people realize absolutely yeah it Pe is. well and people don't unless you've had to do it you don't understand how hard it is to go into somebody else's code and figure out what the hell they were thinking or why they did right. this specific thing there and when and why or any of that stuff. And so just that traceability and auditability of things mm -hmm. is so nice to have when you have it because when you don't, it's a huge pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I personally started from zero a couple of times because of that. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's, that's easier. Most of yeah. the you know. Yeah. I'm taking control of it. Yeah. No, it's very yeah. true. Yeah. Well, shit. I think that was quick. Yeah, it was quick. <laughs> that was so well, quick. as I expected, you know, but, um, but yeah, I want to kind of jump Wrap in. it up to the lightning round or the, the speed round. Speed round. So we'll just pepper y'all with questions. Okay. Just give us short, fun answers back. But uh, favorite cloud? GCP, Azure, or AWS. Trouble. Yeah, let me get me in trouble. Okay. All right. <laughs> she, has, she has that to was a, that was a loaded question. So <laughs> I'll I'll pivot. Um, Let's go with favorite um, open source anything. It can be favorite or most useful or something that you use often. Or Well, right now I am loving Midjourney. So if you haven't tried it, go for it. Yeah. I love it. And it's empowering me as the human. So yeah. generating, I mean, generative AI and generating these images from text and from image and prompting and seeing the power of the prompt and yeah. seeing that generating an image out of it, I, I am fascinated by it. It's it's crazy, the stuff that they're doing. And they're already doing stuff. I was telling uh, Ding earlier today, you know, they've already got stuff where it's combining you know, language processing, so it will translate the language, but mm. then it will also generative fill the mouth so that the mouth matches the words that they're saying, not like all the movies that we grew up with where it's like they're talking and- <laughs> It doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, yeah right? And, and it's really like, bad dubbing. It's yeah. crazy the things that are gonna come from that, both good and bad, unfortunately, but like the deep fake stuff is terrifying, but right. mm. for the good, right? Like for us, we're looking at it as in like, how can we generate this podcast in five different languages mm -hmm. so that more people can hear all mm -hmm. the stuff that we're talking yeah. about, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's very valuable and very powerful and fascinating all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I have any uh, strong opinions on this. I think, you know, what's interesting from my standpoint, I don't, 
I'm sure I use open source things, but I've never coded anything in my yeah. life. And so um, what I think is interesting is the technologies that are open source because they pull so much community adoption. Yeah. Um, and so there gets to be really powerful user bases um, that lead to roadmap of product and stuff like that. So Data IQ doesn't happen to be that, but I think some really interesting um, products have been launched over the last you know, 10, 15 oh, years yeah. sure. that led with you know, open, source. open source and community first. Yeah, and that crowdsourcing that? helps you know, improve the product Absolutely. faster and you get more DBT, eyes, hands on it. Yeah. Uh, Mongo. I mean, there's so many that, yeah. Yeah. If only our industry would learn that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, they had an attempt with the OSDU. I mean, I think it's still going there. on. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there have been a number of consortiums that I've watched spin up and slowly uh, die over time. And I'm not saying that specifically about anyone, but my problem with consortiums in our industry generally is that they end up getting led by uh, or a lot of the power comes from the big service companies or the other people that are involved that have obvious incentives sure. for it mm -hmm. to go one way or the yeah. other. Mm -hmm. yep. And the whole point of open source is that you put those incentives aside and think about what is best for, for the for mass yeah. and for the greater good and the community. Yeah. And I don't know the solution to that, but I hope we figure it out sometime soon because I mean, Wi-Fi, USB, Bluetooth, like there's yeah. so many everyday technologies that everyone uses that came from just that concept. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, who's your favorite social media follow? Well, I, I actually have a few. Okay. And uh, I will say that I like the AI and advanced analytics female community. Okay. So, of course, uh, Kate, you know, Kate. Uh, I follow her a lot. And Casey. As you know, from from Google. Okay. Well, ex Google because sure. Quit. <laughs> yeah, that's Casey Kozarov. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I have been in the market for a car for a long time until just recently. So uh, I was watching car dealership guys yes, podcasts I and stuff, love and his stuff. was loving it. I mean, um, so I did purchase a car, so I'm not following it as close as I was, yeah. but was a fascinating run as he kind of like appeared from nowhere yeah and, and on launched. twitter and yeah. Made, yeah. yeah some really awesome information and then great interviews on his podcast mm -hmm. i've actually have not listened to a podcast on yeah that. it's yeah, great. i follow his twitter quite a bit yeah and you did it at an interesting time too with the car market mm -hmm. and stuff all good well and it, it changed so much month to month that it <laughs> yeah. was uh i mean it was a fascinating to follow but so. it was really there was something too where i feel like he kind of moved the market on buicks mm -hmm. like he mentioned something about buicks were like you know they were selling really low and then it was like the next month like buicks like had a big, yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> the power of it of is the power of social media power yeah. of content man. yeah all right we'll uh we'll wrap it up what's what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone coming into kind of the energy tech space uh be very aware technology has come a long way and this is the time to be as empowered as you can be and bring the differentiator as a human that you bring so Education is key, understand what's there and, and maximize that opportunity. And I will say, if you haven't tried any of the generative AI bots and so on, you are late. So <laughs> get in there and start questioning these things and start understanding what it brings for you and how you bring that special layer, which is the humanity on it. Absolutely. So what it means to hallucinate, how we're going to control that, how we're going to really connect the dots here towards this one goal that we are sharing in this very diverse group yeah 100 percent. it's going to enable people 
this that weren't that didn't that didn't have access to that yeah. power yes. before. I mean, exactly. like exactly, it, it's already it's happened. Wings. But they have to be willing to not not be afraid of it and to yes, exactly. well, yeah, so. embrace it. Yes, and practice it too, because <clears throat> the the degree of output significantly changes based on your prompts with most of these. Yeah. And I'm not saying you need to go write a paragraph every time you prompt the thing, but it but really does. How you help. ask the questions, oh. absolutely. Because we were talked about it in the last one too, a thing, but like Andrew Ng or whatever, or Ng, mm -hmm. I think. But um, he had a really good one-hour course on prompt engineering, and you just mm -hmm. learn like this is how you have to ask the questions yeah. so that you know. Because again, you can, and they do a decent job if you ask it a decent question mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. your your native language. But if you break it into these steps or tell it that you're this, or you know, really outline it, it it takes it to a whole another level yeah mm -hmm. act as and your mm -hmm. goal is to are very very important things to put in most prompts because they really help yeah like well think how you're gonna be 10x more productive with the technology that you have in your hands today mm -hmm. that, yeah. that's where your mind has to be where where is your side of it on how sure. you're gonna have your own wings absolutely yeah so um to that point maybe a slightly different uh tack is the um the world will continue to consolidate for operators i mean that's uh, been happening it'll continue to happen and um there has to be an opportunity to differentiate yourself in those organizations as they combine particularly if you're part of the group that's being acquired and so um what I've seen over and over again is the change agents who can demonstrate that they brought the business value um, are leaps and bounds ahead of their peers for promotions, for um, even making themselves uh, compelling to other companies outside mm -hmm. of that organization. Right. And so if you want to, it's not even necessarily about advancing your career, but if you want to demonstrate the value that you bring to the organization, the easiest way is to demonstrate your ability to be a change agent because decisions at these organizations are becoming harder and harder. Yeah. And if you can navigate yeah. these organizations to make decisions and make impact, um, it is it is something that uh, is clearly visible through your management line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. that's good advice. And again, I would go back to, but I mean, Ding had very similar, you know, talking about how he, he navigated different companies and oil and gas, you're going to have the ups and downs, but like, are you solving people's problems mm -hmm. and like, are making things more efficient and better? Like, if you are, like, it's, it gets noticed and you're, you're going to stick around. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Or, uh, or you're going to make it through the layoff, right? Like, yeah. that's right. another big there one. There you go. <laughs> and know how you're going to measure su success somehow, right? Yeah. Let's mm -hmm. align on that. I'm Absolutely. stuck in that. Yeah. What does variable. success look like? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, cool. Where can uh, where can people find y'all? And yeah, I'm Nathan Simonis on LinkedIn. Um, I'm relatively active. I don't yeah, do you, any uh, Twitter or anything else. But um, yeah, here in Houston, and um, make my way around to the oil and gas towns pretty frequently. So same. Google my name. You'll find me. <laughs> Google me. She's everywhere. I love yeah. that. Google me. <laughs> Thank y'all for coming on. We really appreciate it. This yeah. Hour. Yeah. Thanks, Flew guys. Love you so much. Thank you for yeah. While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Goodbye.